in the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they didn't. Sounds like kids telling their mom they'll do everything she's told them to do and not doing it. How's that for Mother's Day connection? <laughs> anyway. Back to the Israelites. Back to the Israelites. In spite of all God did for them, they disobeyed him time and time again. Their history as a nation is one of disobedience, discipline, repentance, and restoration repeated over and over and over again. And eventually, they stumbled over the messianic stone that God sent, upon which they were to build their lives and their community. And the privilege of being God's covenant people, a people for his own possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation was taken from them and given to others. It was given this time not to one particular nation or family group, but to any who would, by faith, accept the conditions of a new covenant. It was given to us. We are now the people of God. And as Paul said in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We have become the inheritors of Abraham's promises 
and of all God promised to Moses on Sinai. Peter makes that clear in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, where we continue our study in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is talking about us. We who have built our lives on that choice and precious cornerstone that God promised to Israel and sent in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. We who have accepted Christ are now the people of God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That is what we are. We are a chosen race, and that's not a racist comment. We're not talking about white, Anglo-Saxon Protestants here. We're talking about all who have been begotten of God. The word translated race means those begotten of a common ancestor. We are a chosen race because we share a common heavenly father. Now, that is not to say that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is part of this chosen race because we all share a common creator. It's true, we all do share a common creator, but we've all rebelled against our creator and broken family ties with him. It's only when we agree to be adopted back into the family to be born again, that he once again becomes our Heavenly Father. And only then can we be considered as part of the chosen race, the race chosen by God to be begotten of him. And that chosen race... priests. We are royal priests. Now, royalty isn't something you earn. It's something that is given to you, something you inherit or gain by entering into a marriage relationship with someone who is royal. Princess Di became a princess by marrying Prince Charles, and we gain our standing as royal priests through our relationship with the king of kings. And we're not just individual priests doing our own thing. We're a kingdom of priests. We are a holy nation. Now, sometimes we think the United States of America is God's holy nation. 
but it's not. The people of God around the world constitute God's holy nation. It's made up of people from every land and every political system. It's true that God has blessed America, and for that, I am most grateful. I love America, but the nation to which I am most loyal is not the United States of America. It's the holy nation of God. And by holy, we mean a nation that is set apart for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. The people of God constitute a holy nation that puts God's purposes above all political or nationalistic purposes. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not good citizens of the individual countries in which we live. Peter will have some very specific things to say about our responsibilities to those in authority over us. But it does mean that our first loyalty is the nation of God. For we are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We belong to Him first and foremost. And not only does His ownership of us give Him the right to use us any way He sees fit, it also gives us immense value. Have you ever noticed how common things take on extraordinary value when they belong to someone special? If you've ever been to a a hard rock cafe, not my favorite place to eat, but if you've ever been to one, you've seen people ooing and eyeing over shirts and jerseys and shoes and instruments that once belonged to famous people. And a half-eaten buffalo sandwich that was put into an applesauce jar in 1960 by a Boy Scout is still famous. Because Nixon ate the other half. (laughs) The most mundane things take on tremendous value when owned by celebrities. So how much value... Do you think you now have, now that you belong to God? We are the people of God. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's what we are. If we've made Jesus the cornerstone of our life. And as the people of God... What is it that we do? Let's read it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. What a beautiful description of our purpose. Now, years ago, 
I went to a church growth seminar where we were told that every church absolutely needs a written mission statement, something that will draw everybody together. Well, I thought a lot about it and ended up writing one that I thought was perfect. I came back all excited, and I shared it with the elders. Now, their response was less enthusiastic than I'd expected. They started nitpicking my choice of words, and before long it became clear that my mission statement wasn't the clarion call it was intended to be. We discussed it for several months, and finally I decided to see if we really did need one. So one Sunday, without preparing them for it, I asked my Sunday school class to write down the mission and purpose of Chatham Christian Church. Everyone in the class wrote down something to the effect that our purpose is to lead people to Christ and to help them mature in the faith. That surely seemed to be in line with the great commission we've been given, so we decided no mission statement was needed. However, if we did decide we needed one, we could write a really good one by plagiarizing Peter. The mission of Chatham Christian Church is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Maybe I didn't engrave that. No, no. But you know, if we are faithfully proclaiming his excellencies, or as the NIV puts it, declaring his praises, people will hear of a God who loves them enough to die for them. And many will respond that love. They will accept his offer to save them and his offer to become the Lord of their life. But we've got to be proclaiming his excellencies, not the excellencies of ourselves or our programs in order for that to happen. I don't want you singing the praises of Chatham Christian Church nearly as much as I want you singing the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we'll do that consistently by the lives we live and the words we speak, People will know that we are the people of God. And they will know why we do what we do. Verse 10 again. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Philip Yancey's classic book, What's So Amazing About Grace, we read, 
During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world were discussing whether any one belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. In his forthright manner, Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. It's God's grace that enables us to become the people of God. It's nothing we deserve. It's nothing we can earn. You know, God didn't wait until we got good enough to send his son to save us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took pity on us. The word translated mercy here actually means pity. God pitied us. He saw that we were lost and alone and unable to do anything about our condition. So he stepped in and called us to himself and gave us a new identity. He made us into a people of God and said, Now go and tell others what I've done for you and let them know I want to do the same for them as well. That is why we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We do it because he called us out of darkness and made us into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We do it because we love him for who he is and for what he's done. And we want him to know how grateful we are that he loves us. We don't obey God in the hopes of pleasing him enough that he might save us someday. We obey him because he has saved us and claimed us as his own.
if you've not been made part of the people of God, you can. If you'll confess your faith in Christ and demonstrate a desire to be cleansed by Him in baptism, you too can become a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I invite you to step out of darkness into His marvelous light. And come to the one who died and rose again to be able to show you mercy.